Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and this is episode number 27. Today, I'm talking with Carl Sakis of Sakis & Company. Carl helps fast-growing agencies scale profitably by avoiding the common growing pains. And in this chat, he pulls back the curtain to share with you exactly how he does that. This episode's absolutely jam-packed with actionable advice, so I'm going to cut this intro short and dive right in. If you're already stressed out with your current projects and are scared about things spiraling out of control as you grow, then get out your pen and paper because Carl lays out everything you need to take back control of your agency. Oh, and if you say until the end, you'll learn how to get an autographed copy of Carl's latest book for free. So without further ado, here's Carl. Carl, thanks for joining me today. Andy, it is great to be here. <laughs> so you have probably the widest selection of material for digital agencies that I've come across so far. So there's a lot I really want to cover today. But before we get into all that, can you share just a 30-second bio with the listeners? Like, who are you and what do you do specifically? Absolutely. Well, I help fast-growing digital agencies that are having growing pains. And as a consultant and coach, I help them eliminate those growing pains. I'm based in Raleigh, North Carolina, yet work with clients all over the world. At this point, I've helped agency owners in 19 countries on six wow. continents. Wow. So just waited for that Antarctica agency? You know, as far as I can tell, there aren't any there. But uh, when <laughs> when they start, I'll, I'll be there to help. <laughs> you have a ton of content out there. You've written a couple of books. One of the, the e-books that I want to focus on today is Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger. In, in that book, you start off with a statement I think is going to catch a lot of agency owners off guard. And you say that it's almost impossible to run a financially successful digital agency based solely on the credo, the client always comes first. Why shouldn't the client always comes first? Well, to be sure, clients are important. You wouldn't have an agency without clients. But the problem is if you're always putting the client first, you're putting yourself, your, yourself and your agency second or maybe third in the, in the ranking. And the problem is that if you do that, you may be doing great work, but you're not getting paid for it or you're not getting paid enough for it. And ultimately, if a business is not running as a business, you're eventually going to go out of business. The priority that should be number one is sort of the put yourself first, put the agency before the client. Within the context that obviously you do need to be looking out for the client's interest, but you know, it's kind of like when you're flying and the, the flight attendant have the announcement about put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others. Mm-hmm. You do need to take care of your, your own basic needs first, and then you can help your clients. That's a good point. And it's almost for the exact same reasons, because if you if you run out of oxygen, if your agency goes out of business, you can't help a client anymore. Exactly. If there's one thing agency owners love to do, and it's why they might the the sort of the don't always put your client first, don't think about the don't put them first, it's something that I know strikes a chord with them because they love to complain a lot of times about bad clients. And it seems like regularly having bad clients is something that's a trend in a lot of agencies, whether it's there's just always another fire they have to put out, there's always a late night call. How can agency owners avoid this? Or like, is it just, is dealing with bad clients like this just par for the course? It certainly depends on the agency. You know, one of the things I'll ask new clients is to, to rank their clients as great, kind of in the middle, and, and terrible. And the, that terrible percentage varies. I, I saw a recent client's report, and, and they'd estimated about 10% of their clients were, were in the terrible category. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. I think a key point to consider is that ultimately in marketing, if you're running a digital agency, we're training our clients how to treat us. A lot of agencies, especially as they're starting out, may be working with clients that have never worked with an agency before, perhaps never worked with a marketing freelancer before. And in that case, you are teaching clients what it's like to be an agency client, you know, that uh, how you bill for things, how the approval process works, how if you get past due, you typically have the option to pause work until client pays. Uh, so that's that's one consideration. On the other hand, a lot of agencies work with clients that have worked with agencies before. And then in that case, the relationship has all of the baggage of the previous relationships. And you know, just the same, it's your job to 
teach your clients what it's like to be a client of your agency. So if you have difficult clients, on one hand, that, that is partly your fault, but the bright side is it means you can fix it. A lot of bigger agencies, they've, they have these processes in place. They have some onboarding methods and processes that they repeatedly do. But for some smaller agencies that are just kind of starting to even think about this, if someone comes to me and wants a website, like I'm going to build them a website, like how do I, where in this conversation do I bring up these expectations? How do I lay them out? Like what's the first step to kind of building this expectation setting process from scratch? Well, I, I think an important consideration is around what the client seems to be expecting in the first place. The example you mentioned of a client coming to the agency saying, I need a website, you know, that, that's a, a very tactical approach on the client's perspective. You know, ultimately, every agency service fits into one of three categories, strategy, implementation, and training. I have my SIT model, strategy, implementation, and training, SIT. You know, strategy is where the client is saying, I don't know what to do, tell me what to do. Implementation is kind of like the example you mentioned where the client says, I know what I want, do it for me. And training is where the client is saying, I want to do it in-house, teach me how to do it. So if a client is coming to you expecting implementation, one of the things to consider is, is that the right solution? You know, for instance, is a new website the right solution from the client's perspective? If you approach it rather than, oh, they want a website, I'm going to sell them a website. If you approach it from the perspective thinking like a consultant, what are the business problems they're facing? Okay, now how can we help them solve those business problems? You can ultimately get better results and ultimately clients will respect you more because you're focusing on what's best for them rather than just saying, oh, you want this? I'm going to be an order taker and and do that thing. Mm. And so it seems like the first step, or not necessarily a hard step, but the first thing to think about is what you want, what service you're trying to sell your clients. Like if you want to be that high volume implementation agency, that's okay. But if you're trying to move up market, kind of value price your services and sell some of the strategies, then the first thing you almost have to do is make sure your clients know that's what you're doing by setting the stage up front. Definitely. You know, whenever I'm advising clients as a consultant or a coach, I follow the Stephen Covey concept of begin with the end in mind. What is the agency you're trying to create? What do you want it to look like a year from now, five years from now, some, some other point in the future? If you know that, you can work backwards from there. So, for instance, maybe you realize that you want to focus on strategy. Well, you have to be careful about the implementation clients you take. Or maybe you're going to take implementation work, which is easy to sell because people tend to have an idea of what they want, but there needs to be an endpoint to that. You know, if, if you're doing 90% implementation, it's going to be hard to shift to doing more strategy work. But he, here's a model to consider when it comes to working with clients in general. Uh, so that would be three, three words, empathy, expectations, and incentives. So empathy, you know, I think it's easy to think, oh, you know, terrible clients, difficult clients, you know, they're just making my life miserable. You know, empathy is putting yourself in their shoes and understanding where they're coming from. In my experience, I've worked with hundreds of clients over the years since 1997, everything from small businesses to big businesses, nonprofits, even an Olympic athlete. And typically, you know, a terrible client is not a terrible person. They're a normal person in a difficult situation, a potentially terrible situation. You know, maybe they've recently lost some of their clients. They're trying to figure out marketing-wise, how do we get the business back in? Uh, maybe they worked with another agency and got burned, and they're trying to figure out, well, how do we navigate this, uh, you know, potentially for them without getting fired? Uh, you know, and the, thinking about the pressures they're under and understanding how you can help them rather than be seen as an obstacle or yet another problem to deal with, you know, empathy is very powerful in getting better results working with clients. So empathy is one. Expectations ultimately is managing clients' expectations about what it's like to work with you uh, and also about the process along the way. And I think it's important to keep in mind that when you're running an agency, you're doing the marketing work all day long, every day, with lots of different clients. Typically, clients aren't doing those things all day long. You know, you mentioned the, the website example. You know, typically businesses are building new websites maybe every three to five years. You know, some might stretch it out longer. Some might might do a new site sooner. But ultimately, this isn't something they're doing every day. So when a client comes to an agency and, and ultimately they need help with something, 
they're expecting the agency to drive the process. I mean, really to have a process in the first place. You know, and, and the questions you ask clients in the sales process and later on ultimately help clients feel reassured that they're in good hands, that you know what you're doing. And in situations where ultimately, you know, you're not sure how to handle something, you're able to figure it out and help them out. So that's expectations. And finally, incentives is looking at uh, how can you align your client's incentives and your own incentives. You know, so in life, you know, thinking of incentives and, and economics, people tend to do the thing they have the incentive to do. So if you can find a way to show clients that doing the thing you want them to do is meeting their own needs, well, why wouldn't they do it? They're doing it for themselves. What would an example of that be? Uh, you know, it certainly de- depends on the on particulars, but, but one, one, one example might be related to content delays. You know, w- whenever you're doing a web development project, and this can be true for certainly for content marketing, uh, for social media, for, for video production, other things, you know, content delays can really kill the project or kill the retainer because you're waiting on the client to get stuff done. Well, from an incentive perspective, understanding where the client is coming from, you can fix most of those problems. So for instance, maybe it's a case where your client contact is trying to save budget and they're not having the agency create the content. Well, in that case, it's on you to manage the client's expectations about, well, here's the process we recommend you follow on getting the content done. Here are the milestones to consider. And you're framing it from how do you make the client look good to their boss? Because ultimately, no client wants to go to their boss and say, I didn't write the stuff that I was supposed to write, and now the website's going to be a month late. If you frame it as, here's our recommended schedule for creating the content, here are the high-level sections, and then we can, you know, a couple weeks from now, we'll dig into some of the, the other the, the subsections and things like that. You're managing their expectations, but you're framing it as we want you to look good. We want you to succeed. We want you to get promoted. And whatever the case may be, the reality is for the agency, you want the content on time so you can launch. But if you can frame it in terms of the client looking good, feeling good, being successful, that's an incentive alignment. Mm, No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think especially with the content delays, that's one that most agencies can relate to because that's something that is so common. But for going back to the kind of the expectations phase of this, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you talked about clients almost want you to be asking these questions up front because it shows that you've actually thought about it and you're not just kind of winging it on them. Because like you said, they don't want to look bad to their boss, to their shareholders, investors, to themselves they they don't want to have to admit to even a spouse that this project failed so i think that having that clear process up front makes all the difference but for agencies who don't necessarily have that intake process who don't have those kind of onboarding questions like where where would you begin on and i know it obviously depends on the type of project you're working on but how do you work with the clients to make sure everything that's necessary to be done up front is done up front. I would start by looking at what are the problems you've seen in the past. Now, my assumption is if you're running an agency, you, you have some level of industry experience. So even if you've never run an agency before, what are the problems that have come up? Maybe the problems that have come up if you worked with you know, hiring an agency in the past uh, or, or just in general. As I mentioned, content delays could be one of them. Uh, what are some of the problems you see as you get ready to launch? You know, one of the, the common mistakes I see for first-time web or, or relatively new web developers or new project managers is launching a client's site without remembering to add the Google Analytics tracking code. And then you suddenly realize a month later, uh-oh, we don't have any data because we forgot to put the code in. Now, you, you can fix that to some extent by having... Uh, by having checklists and processes and or hiring more experienced people. But, you know, if you can learn from your past experience, you know, so that you maybe you launch one site without the code, but you have an internal process that you never do that again and that you know at the very beginning, you know, you have your checklist. Uh, Does the client have an existing code? You know, okay, get that. If they, maybe this is a brand new site and they don't have a Google Analytics account, well, 
help them get that set up so you know what the code is rather than being surprised later. So the, the onboarding particulars will depend on the, the type of work you're doing, but you certainly want to have a continuous learning approach around, okay, what, what went well, what didn't go well, what can we do to learn from that? Okay, and I think this ties a lot in with what you talk about as a, a SWOT analysis. Is that right? Oh, right. Yeah, in, in terms of looking at your process now. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. I mean, I, you know, you, you could look at onboarding from the perspective of a, of a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, looking at what's working, what's not working, what are some things you can learn from. You know, the, the nice thing is you can learn from the onboarding process in industries outside of marketing looking at what, what's working well, what's not working well. You know, one of the, the examples I like to look at around not going quite as smoothly is when you go to the doctor. You, know, you go to the doctor and you wait and wait and they take your vital signs and say the magic words, the doctor will be right with you. And of course, the doctor is never right with you. You know, they, they could improve the process. Uh, you know, there are certain obstacles. Uh, I know some, some doctor's offices will have you fill out some of the paperwork beforehand. You know, that's an example of an onboarding process. If you ask your clients to fill out a certain intake process beforehand, you're not killing the client through you know, de- death by a million paper cuts. I, I had a client who ran, ran into a problem where she was getting feedback about one of her employees, and the employee was just really frustrating her clients. And what turned out is the employee was asking question after question after question after question, and from the client's perspective, they were just get, getting these endless requests for information. What the agency should have done and, and started doing based on my feedback was find ways to bundle and group the questions. So if your client is sitting down for an hour and they knock out all the questions they need to sort out, that's a lot easier for them than feeling like they're getting one small question every day. I like that bundling term. It's putting it all together, like kind of batching it together so that it's not, like you said, death by a thousand paper cuts or death by a thousand questions. And I feel like listening to you talk about these things, there's almost two sides to the expectations. There's one, what is needed, what is expected, what is necessary to make the project succeed. That could be, like you were saying, checking, make sure we have the Google Analytics code, make sure you have the content, making sure the wireframes and everything are approved and this and that but i also feel like there's another side to it and that's more on the side that we hear a lot of those horror stories about the 2 a.m phone calls or the late payments and this and that so what are the important things you that agencies should think about on the less project-based onboarding stuff and the more just client management in general well you can start by letting clients know what your policies are for for different things in in the Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger ebook on taking clients from painful to profitable, I mentioned certain things you can make policies on. You know, for instance, you could make policies for what is your what is your policy on turnaround time on a request? How fast do you get back to emails and phone calls? You could also have a policy for what counts as a rush rate or a priority fee item as opposed to charging your, your regular rate for things. Uh, you can also have policy for, you know, do you charge for mileage? Do you charge for travel time? Stuff like that. You can ultimately have a policy for almost anything. And, you know, you don't always have to enforce them strictly. But certainly having policies makes it easier so that clients aren't wondering, you know, for instance, if they pick up the phone, is that billable? Uh, if they request something, are you going to suddenly charge them for it? Uh, the answer it's going to vary. For instance, if it's a new request, you probably should give them an opportunity to have some back and forth about, you know, here's what that'll what that'll cost. Um, but you know, th- those are those are some things to consider. A significant portion of the conflict in the kind of agency client relationship comes from one of the parties not being one of the parties being surprised, whether it's from a missed deadline because the client didn't give something, but the client didn't know they had to do that, or if it was just a client to know they were being charged or something or or whatever. And that being as upfront about all of this as you can helps avoid that. But at the same time, to a lot of agency owners I know, and I've heard that it's like they went out on their own, became a freelancer to kind of avoid all of this kind of endless procedures and documents. And it's just almost like, this is just building it up again for themselves. Have you ever run into that? 
if people don't like process, it, it's certainly hard to be a freelancer or hard to run an agency. The reality is, though, process helps sometimes save you from yourself. You know, for instance, maybe you want to do something where, you know, client requests something. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I really like to do it for them, but that's out of scope. So in theory, I should charge them for that. But I don't know if I want to charge them for it because I'm going to have to have what feels like an uncomfortable conversation. If instead you have a policy that, you know, may, maybe this is part of the, the contract, you get two rounds of revisions at this particular point, you can point back to the policy to guide the conversation. It's not you saying, hmm, I don't want to give you another revision. It's, hmm, the, the, you know, the, the statement of work says you get two. I'm glad to do another revision. Would you like a quote on what that would cost? In certain places, it, if you do the analysis and you figure out where you're going wrong, where things aren't working out the way you would like, it gives you something to fall back on where you know if you just stick to the processes, you're going to be okay. But it does give you that freedom at the same time, like you said, is you don't have to always go 100% by the book, but having the book is still helpful. Absolutely. And one of the biggest places to do this, and you know, for, for listeners, if you're not doing this now, start. Having a policy around when you start work relative to receiving the contract signed and the deposit. Which, by the way, if you're not doing a deposit or some form of prepayment, please start doing that. But the, the particular question is around, you know, you think of, think of the situation. New client, you've had a great sales conversation, they need your help, uh, you or, or your salesperson has had the conversation, and the client is like, I want to start, I'm ready to start. It's easy to jump into just starting to do the work. The problem is, if you don't have a client agreement, you don't have a deposit, and, and you know, at least some agreement that they're going to pay you for the work, you're likely to get burned. I have a client in Canada who recently started doing work for a large wine producer, and they didn't have those discussions beforehand. You know, they they had the client agreement, but they hadn't mapped out what the budget was. And so then there was a question of, well, are we going to get paid for it? The problem is they didn't talk about it beforehand. Whereas if they had said, we'd love to get started, our policy is we need a deposit of X, and, and that could vary based on the overall project budget or, or other factors, or you might have a, just a minimum deposit to get started. Uh, I'd say, we'd love to get started. As soon as we receive the payment, we can schedule the kickoff meeting. That's using a policy to reinforce, reinforce that process. But ultimately, if your policy is we don't start until we've received the deposit, you're never going to do unpaid work because, by definition, you're not going to do any work until you've received the deposit. And and if a client is like, well, but I need to get started really fast. I need I need to get going. Well, they can prove it by paying. <laughs> right. Recently, there's been, this doesn't affect agencies as much as freelancers, but Upwork changed their pricing for uh, fees on different contracts. So for smaller contracts, instead of 10%, they're now charging 20%. And I know a lot of agencies will outsource some work to freelancers they hire for Upwork. So I've been kind of like doing some digging into that, seeing what the issues are. And it's funny because talking to some of the freelancers about why they stay with Upwork, it's because of the escrow and the the all the kind of uh, mediation that they can do. And whenever I suggest, well, you could just collect payment up front or at least a portion of the payment before doing work, it just seems like that's a crazy idea. But for agencies, I even hear it a bit too, especially when they're kind of in that feast or famine cycle where if they don't have a ton of work coming in, when a client comes to them with something, they don't want to put up all these barriers. Like how? what would you say to those agency owners who are a little bit concerned about pushing back there and saying, Hey, we need to get paid first. Certainly if you're, if you're feeling desperate and need to make some compromises, I, I, I can understand that pressure and you need to do what you need to do to get the money in to pay your team and, and pay the bills, keep the lights on and things like that. I would, I would note though that the beginning of the relationship before you start is when you as the agency have the most power. Because at that point, nothing's happened yet. The client wants the work, but you haven't started doing the work. That's your last chance to map out what the policies are and what the expectations are. And ultimately, that's where you're showing the client what kind of an agency you are. 
Are you an order taker? The client says, I want this, and you jump to do it. Or are you more of a strategic agency? Are you saying, we're glad to help, but I don't think that's the right solution based on what you've described about your business goals? Or are you, you know, the, a lot of agencies will say, you know, we're, we're a partner, not a vendor. Well, if you jump whenever the client says jump, you're a vendor, not a partner. Right. Hold that thought because we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, Carl's going to answer the question I know many of you are thinking right now. How do I institute policies like this with long-term clients? It's a great question. It's something you need to tread carefully on. So just hang tight for 30 seconds and he'll tell you how. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners. And while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork, but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now back to Carl. If that's when the start, when that's your one opportunity, your, your main opportunity to set these expectations, to set the processes, to set all this out, how do you then work with clients who you are already on your roster, they're already paying you? you didn't do a good job setting those expectations, like those 10% of terrible clients right now. Like how do you handle them when you already have them? That's the hardest part of our work. It, you know, it's easy to set expectations for new clients. It's hard to reset expectations for existing clients. A few things to consider. One, I would start by looking at incentive alignment. Is there some way that they're going to benefit from the pushback you're doing? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. You also want to look at how replaceable clients see you. As being, you know, if they think they could get another agency to do it or another freelancer in, you know, in a few days, well, if you push back, you don't really have much leverage. On the other hand, you know, I worked with a client in North Carolina where one of their account managers had been an account manager on the client's account longer than any of the client contacts that worked at the company. In in fact, I think at one point she had been through three different client contacts. And so she was actually like a form of, of institutional knowledge for the client. You know, she knew the client better than, than the client contact did. And so in that case, well, why would the client ever fire her agency? Because they, they needed her. And so if the agency were to say, you know, your, your rates are going up 20%, you know, they've been fixed for the past three years, and now they're going up 20%. Uh, well, you know, the odds are good that the client would agree to it because they need the help. As opposed to a client seeing the agency as easily replaceable, you know, that could be the, the step for the agency getting fired. A lot of agencies will see this as like an all or nothing thing where it's just one day you flip a switch, you'll have all these processes in place, and you're going to know it's going to be exactly right from the, the start. And that can be a scary thing for agencies that don't necessarily have much of this to begin with. And so I feel like the advice that's been the most helpful from what I've heard is that is kind of taking it in steps is not trying to do it all at once, but realizing that the more you can put these things in place now, the fewer of those terrible clients you'll have in the end. Definitely. And, and you're right. It, it is easy for people to think of it as an all or nothing kind of thing where either it's nothing at all or, or suddenly has to be amazing. I mean, in, in my work, my processes are, are constantly evolving. You know, and, and I'm, I'm regularly updating and, and upgrading things. You know, a few things to think about if, if currently you have no process. One is what are the, what's the paperwork you need? You know, having your client agreement, uh, making sure to get feedback on that from a lawyer with experience in contract law in your, in your jurisdiction. Uh, probably some sort of a draft statement of work. So you're not just making it up every time. You know, the other thing, too, is that, you know, there's certain onboarding emails that will go back and forth on, for instance, here's the paperwork. Okay, thanks for the paperwork. Here's what happens next. 
And then, okay, now it's time to schedule a kickoff meeting. Here's what to expect. Here are the people who should be there. You don't have to have all of that written out before you use it. My suggestion is write the email saying, here's the kickoff meeting. Here's what to expect. And now that you've written that email, well, now use that as the template. But the next time you send that, here's kickoff coming up, blah, 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 you're not writing it from scratch. That one mindset, I think, is really important to people that resist all these processes because it's like, I get that people don't want to feel weighed down by all these rules and regulations and this and that, and that they might view that as corporate. But the thing is, no one really likes writing out yet another email for who needs to attend the kickoff meeting or these types of things. Like a lot of this is just getting it out of the way so you don't have to keep doing it over and over and over again. Absolutely. Having business processes frees you to do the other things you probably want to do a lot more. You know, I've found oftentimes my clients have started their agency because they like marketing strategy, or they like design, or they like development, or copywriting, or PR, and and they find that suddenly they're now running a business, which is very different from doing the, the day-to-day work. And so ultimately, by having those processes and, and being able to delegate to team members as you grow, it gives you more time to do the things you want to do, rather than getting sucked into the things you don't want to do. Right, and ultimately, you're you're still the boss, the client's the client, but you're the expert. You're the people they're coming to for help. And so if you find yourself working crazy, crazy hours, taking phone calls at all hours of the night, sometimes it's going to happen. But if it keeps happening and it's ruining your life, then you're the only one who can really change that. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be hard if your existing clients are used to texting you at 11 p.m. or midnight and suddenly you say, that needs to change and you're navigating how to do that, you know, not everyone's going to like that. But the, the challenge is if people expect you to be available at 11 PM and it's not an emergency, you know, for sure. If, if someone's site goes down or there's a PR crisis and things like that, I, I think you should handle those. But if it's, if it's not urgent, it's not an emergency in that sense, you know, it's up to you to reset their expectations. And if they don't want to go along with it, you have to decide if it's willing, if you're willing to lose the relationship. I actually have a, a free tool that I've created called the Client Ranking Matrix. It's a spreadsheet where you put all of your clients in, and then you're looking at their current value versus future potential. And ultimately, it, it helps you figure out which are the clients you need to fire, which are the clients you want to grow, and which are the ones that you'll, you'll status quo, keep them as is. And I think that's important to go through regularly to kind of constantly reevaluate that. And one of the guests I, I recently talked to, Matt Inglot, who runs a Freelance Transformation, his big thing that he's talked a ton about, and I agree kind of fully with, is about growing the current clients you have, the good clients, is, is instead of just spending so much time trying to find more and more of them, realize that you can often offer the current ones more of your services and grow their relationship. Do you have much to talk about in that area? Definitely. You know, I, I think it's worth looking at client retention. Uh, Bain and company did a study a number of years back where they looked at how does client retention impact profitability? And the exact impact varied by client industries. There's no single rule of thumb for this. But they found that if you could boost client retention by 5%, it could increase profits by 25 to 85%. Big impact. And think about all the effort as you're running an agency, all the effort you're putting into your sales activities, into your marketing activities beforehand. Well, I, I hope so. You know, agencies tend to have a shoemaker's kids problem. But the time you should be investing in your marketing and then in your sales, if you're not focusing on retention, you're wasting that money. Because if, if you take so much time so, and often money and effort to find sell, close new clients, but then if you're just getting that one original project from them and just send them on their way, that's not, you're not coming close to maximizing that potential. Exactly. You know, and, and there are a lot of agencies that are doing primarily project-based work. You know, the, ultimately, the solution is, is going to depend on their particulars, but a key thing is set the expectation when a client comes in that the initial project involves such and such you recommend that they do an ongoing retainer and frame it in a way that the particular client feels like they're benefiting from it for ongoing support so that they can take the investment they've made up front and maximize the investment going forward. 
you know, the sort of the car example is you don't buy the car and then never do ongoing maintenance. Because you, you know it won't last. It, it won't, if you're spending all that money, you want to make sure it'll stick around for more than a couple of years. A- absolutely. And, and that goes back to the sales process. You know, if, if you're not talking with the client about ongoing support until you're, you're about to launch or after launch, ah, it's, it's almost too late. It, it's your job to manage their expectations. So in the sales process, you or your salesperson or, or sales team are telling clients about here's what to expect ba- based on the budget you're spending up front. Here's what we recommend spending each month after that for ongoing support. So that way the client isn't surprised that suddenly you're saying, wait a minute, it's going to be this much. I'm surprised. You know, if, if you can avoid negative surprises, you and your clients and your team are going to be a lot happier. Mm. And positive surprises are great. Those are like it's where you set expectations and beat them. Like clients love that, but no one wants to say no one wants a negative surprise. No one wants to hear like, oh, this is going to cost twice what you thought. What we told you it was going to cost. It, exactly, and and that does require doing having some difficult conversations. One of the things I recommend doing is it, in the sales process, it's easy to talk about all the possibilities. You know, when when budget is not a consideration, you could do anything. But the reality is budget is a consideration. So in your statement of work, make sure to have a list of exclusions. Here's an agency. Everyone talks about best practices. Here's a next practice. Have a list of exclusions in your statement of work, listing the things that you discussed earlier that did not make it into the final scope. Huh. I haven't heard that, but that makes a ton of sense. And have the client explicitly sign off on that section or page or whatever. So when the client later says... Well, wait a minute. We, you know, you were going to get the celebrity endorser to, you know, talk about our our product on national TV. Uh, you can remind them we talked about that as a possibility, yes, but that didn't make it into the final budget. It seems like to me all of this comes back to kind of one idea of just being very deliberate about what you do and not leaving things to chance. Do you think that's fair? It's a good way to, to look at it. I, I, th- I sometimes think of it as, as making, uh, being intentional, making intentional choices. You know, if you are resistant to process and you just want to kind of make it up as you go, that's, that's an option, but it's going to be hard to grow your agency successfully. You're going to do a lot of firefighting. You're going to have a lot of avoidable emergencies. Uh, and, you know, there are things that, that would be easier if you planned ahead. And if you're choosing not to plan ahead, life's going to be harder. You know, r- running a business, and especially running an agency, it is hard. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Being intentional makes things easier. And I like when you, when you phrase it that way because it's something that is important to think about because in the given time, it's often easiest to do nothing, to not ask that hard question, to not push back on the client about deposits, about payments, or to not set expectations, to just not worry about it. That's easier at the time than having those hard conversations. But in the long run, it's almost never better off. Like everything has to go right for that not to cause more headaches than it was worth. I've never, although it's not fun to have those difficult conversations, I've never regretted having had them, because later you're going to be so glad you did. Uh, for instance, I, I spoke with a client earlier who, who wants to sell his agency for a million dollars in five years. And so part of my expectation setting was looking at his existing financials to manage his expectations about how hard or how easy that would be. In his case, he, he's on track for it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, for instance, I had a client in New England say that that she wanted a world-class client onboarding process. And what I found during the, the process was that, well, at the, at the time, she had no onboarding process. So the reality is she was not going to go from zero process to world-class overnight. Instead, it was, okay, let's get the basics down. Let's launch it. Let's see how your particular client base reacts to it. And then let's adapt. And eventually, it can become world class, but you're not going to go from zero to world class overnight. You know that that's clients don't always like hearing that, but you know, better to cover it up front so that it's a maybe not a surprise rather than a negative surprise. That lesson that you just taught is an important one to reiterate because it's that 
sort of that iterative process that really makes any of these things work. Like you're saying, you're not going to go from no process to world-class overnight. But if you get something decent out there, learn and constantly adjust, you'll get there eventually. And even along the way, it's going to be way better than having done nothing at all. Absolutely. And, and part of that is having an attitude of continuous improvement, recognizing that you can always do better. And that's okay. And it's, it's a great opportunity. Uh, more granularly, you want to build debriefs into your process. So if you're doing one-off projects at the end of the project, if you're doing ongoing retainers, you probably want to do those, say, a few months into the retainer. You can do them at other points, too. And the nice thing about a debrief, uh, or some will call them a, a post-mortem, although I had a former boss who refused to call them post-mortems because she said no one died. So debriefs. A debrief is only three questions. And the three questions are what worked, what didn't work, and what are we going to do differently next time? Based on your last sort of iteration, your own last debriefing, what are the things that you're changing in the way you run your own consulting practice? One of the things that I, I've noticed as I'm onboarding coaching clients uh, is that in, in coaching, I'd say two-hour call and then virtually unlimited between-call email support. And what I found is that in the intake call, we spent a lot of time talking about how the process works, setting initial goals, building out the coaching program, and that there isn't as much time to follow up on specific burning questions the way there is in, in future months. And so based on that, I now have added a half-hour bonus call after that initial call to wrap up any kind of burning Q&A that clients have. Because I realized that, you know what, based on the reality, uh, you know, I, I want to offer that value because people have questions. We can't get to them. I want to help them out. Uh, the, you know, as opposed to well, saying, well, no, it's, this, this is the process. This is what we're doing. I'm not going to change. Right. Instead of treating it as, as sort of scripture, you're saying this is sort of a living document that I'm going to adjust to get the results that I want and that, my, that will serve my clients. Yes. I'm curious about kind of your own consulting and how do you balance coaching with more hands-on work? Do you do a combination of both or where are, you, where are things going right now for you? Well, there are, are two types of work I do, uh, coaching and consulting. So coaching is where clients ultimately need advice, accountability, and perspective. You know, advice is what to do. Accountability is helping them stay on track. And I have a a goal-setting framework that I've developed over the past few years that helps them get results. And then perspective is ultimately insights from someone who is not them. You know, I, I coach my clients, but I have my own coach because it's impossible to coach yourself. You need that outside perspective. So coaching ultimately is about making ongoing pro progress, you know, kind of on a month-to-month, on -month ongoing basis. With consulting projects, typically clients are at a crossroads in their business. They need to make a major decision or, or figure out what to do going forward. And in that case, with consulting, I'll dive in, gather the data, analyze things, make recommendations. Sometimes a client, for instance, has recently lost a number of employees, and they're not sure why a bunch of people just quit. Other times, maybe they've been growing rapidly, but their team structure isn't working. And, and things are, are slipping through the cracks. What do they do? Other times they've been growing quickly, yet profit margins are down. So how do they continue running the business without having that, that, that kind of crunch? And then other times, too, it, it often gets into leadership issues where you know, they were able to lead their team when they were five people. But now that they're 15 people, you know, it's a lot harder. You know, they, they can't just have everyone in one room. I mean, with 15 people, you can certainly have everyone in one room, but, you know, it's not it's not like overhearing conversations to stay in the loop. Now you need more process. And then amongst all of that, you have how many speaking engagements do you typically do a year? At the moment, I, I'm typically speaking about 25 times a year. Wow. How do you balance all of that? Uh, I follow the time management advice I give my clients. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> So you kind of just dog food your own advice and really just make sure you have processes, make sure you're deliberate, make sure you're, you're intentional about how everything's structured and what you're doing and all of that. Yeah, de definitely. And uh, you know, I, on the speaking side, I, I share, share all of that in my book, uh, which is The In-Demand Marketing Agency, How to Use Public Speaking to Become an Agency of Choice. 
It's available on Amazon, both paperback and, and Kindle. Uh, and you know what? As as a special special offer, uh, if you want to figure out how you want to want to give it away, I'm glad to send a free signed copy to one of your listeners. Uh, you can decide how you want to give it. You know, get their info, and I'll I'll send that off to them. Uh, but you know, ultimately, it is about being intentional. Uh, it's about learning along the way and and trying to figure out how to get better. Uh, you know, I, I was at a speaking engagement in Puerto Rico last month and was coordinating some things with with one of the attendees and and mentioned that I was heading to Boston for a speaker training. And she said, "Oh, is that open to the public?" And I said, "No, no, I'm I'm going to attend the training." And and she seemed surprised that you know I just given a talk and it got ultimately got good reviews uh, that that I would go to training. Uh, but you know that that's the thing you can always do better. And 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 that's what makes our industry so exciting. You know, I, I've chosen to focus my consulting on agencies, on, on digital agencies, because I like agency people. Things are changing all the time, and ultimately, you know, as they're keeping up with the the latest trends in in marketing uh, and, and digital marketing and things related to that, you know, ultimately, I can help them keep the business from getting in the way, so they can do what they want to do. I want to kind of wrap things up on that note because I think the way you just phrase it makes a ton of sense. And I don't want to detract too much from that. So I just have a couple of questions to kind of wrap things up. And so first, what is it that for you, this one just came to you, what is it that you're working on that you're trying to improve most over this next year? One is to build the, the recurring level, uh, level of recurring revenue. You know, I do a mix of projects and, and then recurring coaching. Uh, for people who do projects, they'll typically come back and do additional support after that along the way. Some will do initial projects and do coaching. Uh, I think certainly want to grow the the recurring revenue. Uh, I'm also writing my second book. Uh, you know, first book was on public speaking for agency owners, in particular using public speaking as a form of business development, thought leadership. Uh, second book is on recruiting in agencies, where people would, you know, a lot of my clients have asked for recruiting and hiring related advice realized, okay, it's time to write the book. Uh, the preliminary title is Intentional Recruiting, How to Hire Your Marketing Agency's Dream Team. Um, I'm finding the, the second book is taking longer than the first one. Uh, so that, uh, you know, working on sorting out the process to, uh, to get the, the book done. That's really cool. Do you, do you think there's a reason why the second one's taking longer? Is it almost like, is it more complex? Or what, what do you think it is that's made that a longer process than you expected? I think it is. It is somewhat more complex. I, I think for the first book, I had pieces that just just came together quickly. Uh, so, you know, I think in some ways this is a broader topic around recruiting as opposed to as opposed to speaking. Um, so, not I don't know. I, I I think we'll we'll see how it how it unfolds. Uh, you know, certainly again, beginning with the end in mind, I have the overall overall perspective, and I have the outline, and now it's just uh, just filling out the outline. Yeah. And so to, to truly wrap things up, what would you, what advice would you give to those agency owners who not necessarily are starting with, with nothing, with no processes, nothing at all, but, but they, they're not happy with what they have right now. What would you say is the first step they should take to kind of turning this around for them? Well, I, I have a free article they should read, which is how to start a digital marketing agency. So that'll, That'll help, uh, in, in part, to think about things they may not have thought about before. You know, oftentimes I'll get feedback in speaking and, and working with clients where they'll say, wow, I, I had never thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. So some of that is just being aware of, of things to, to think about. I think that's, that's one consideration. But I would say look at what are the pain points you're feeling. You know, you might not be thinking, I need to have a client onboarding process at my agency, but you might be noticing hmm, certain things blow up with clients at this point in my work. Or these other things keep happening. How do I make them stop? If you look at those pain points and dig in to understand what is the root cause of those problems, then you can figure out how to solve them. And, and oftentimes it's process-related. Sometimes it involves coaching your team in terms of leadership coaching. Uh, it could be some other things. But ultimately look for the pattern and then dig into the root cause and go from there. That's perfect. We were talking earlier, you have 160 different articles on your site. So I'm going to try to link up as many relevant ones as I can. 
But if people really want to go deep on this stuff, what would you recommend to them? Where, what should they check out first? Well, I, my recommendation is go to sakasandcompany.com, which is my website, S-A-K-A-S-A-N-D, the word company.com. And if they go to the resources section, they can get a listing of my most popular articles. These are ones that are going to be most relevant to, to running your agency. Start there. And also give yourself time to, to reflect on it. You know, it's, it's a lot of information. Uh, the, the one other thing to consider is that is, if you're trying to figure out where to get started, I have an article on a concept I've created called an advanced retrospective. You know, retrospective is when you're looking back at how things went. When you do an advanced retrospective, you are writing about it before it happens. You know, you're, you're writing, well, this happened, this happened, here's how it unfolded. It's really powerful in understanding where you want to go and then what you need to do to work backwards from there. Uh, so it's a free article on that on the advanced retrospective. And I imagine you can include that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. If you know where you want to go, everything else is a lot easier. Awesome. Like you said, I kind of have my work cut out for me with these show notes, but I'll make sure I get all of that in there. Thanks again, Carl. That was a great chat today. Great to join you. Thanks, Andy. Thanks. So before I get into the summary or anything like that, I just want to thank Carl again for generously giving away a copy of his book, The In-Demand Marketing Agency. I have the book right next to me, and after reading through it, I can honestly say it's a great primer for any agency owner that's looking to develop their authority and drop business by speaking. So to enter to win, head over to blog.hubstaff.com and find the blog post for this episode and just post a comment telling me what the biggest takeaway you got from this interview was. And then in two weeks on June 22nd, I'll pick a winner at random amongst all the comments on the post and whoever I pick will get the free signed copy of the in-demand marketing agency. Pretty good deal, isn't it? So with that out of the way, let's dig into the main takeaway today. You need to be intentional about how you run your agency. So many agency owners resist processes because they see them as overly corporate. But having strong processes and policies in place helps free up your time so you can focus on what you enjoy instead of having to put out yet another preventable fire. Strong processes shouldn't be a burden, and you don't have to go by the book in every single case. But what is important is that you at least have a book to go by. When you finish up this next project, take some time afterwards to review what could have gone better and then make a commitment to yourself to make a process or policy to ensure that next time it does go better. That's all I have for you guys this week, but don't forget to head over to blog.hubstaff.com to leave a comment for this episode and enter your chance to win Carl's great book. I'll talk to you next week. See ya.